turn now to our text, which comes from Colossians 1. Here, Christ is already, uh, already ascended, and we speak of this ascended Christ, and Paul describes who this king is and ends with the purpose that this, for which this king has been enthroned. Let's read from Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So far the reading of God's word. Beloved in the Lord, if there is any message in Scripture that undermines an isolation of self, isolation of ourselves from what's going on in the world around us. It is the message that Christ is king. As Christ said to his disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Those gates of hell aren't attacking the church. They're gates. The church is assaulting the gates of hell. The righteous Christ has placed his righteous ambassadors in the world to bear his name in all righteousness. Therefore, we care about the unborn because we know that Jesus cares about the lives of those who are the weakest in our society and have no voice. We care about the possibility of government tyranny because we know that hurts the poor and the weak in our society. We care about gay marriage because it undermines the natural and good order that God formed in the created world. Uh, uh, that it undermines the natural and good order that God formed in the created world. We do not retreat to our own circle and let the rest of the world burn. All these things are about the righteousness of Jesus Christ and proclaiming that righteousness. Our light is to reflect the righteousness of Jesus. As members of Christ, we are right to care about the glory of his name in all of society. At the same time, this is no excuse to put our primary focus on the affairs of this world to make the ups and downs of our spiritual life reflect the ups and downs of political life. We're part of a different kingdom. We belong to a different world. 
Our country permits the slaughter of babies. Our country celebrates perversity. Our country, to a degree, oppresses certain groups of people. And with the name of God being pushed out of the public square, Christians are in some sense forced to retreat. We cannot assume that our society has the same Christian values as they did in the past. Orthodox Christians have to speak from a minority position. And yet we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be anxious. Jesus is still reigning. He's still reigning. And we look to him to make things right. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't call us to constant political activism. Neither does it call us to ignore what is going on in the world around us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about changing me so that I have the confidence to speak for Christ wherever God has put me so that I become an agent of change. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the fact that Christ is king so that God the Father may reconcile all things to himself. I can have that peace and confidence because the one who reconciled me to God has also been exalted as my king. And so I bring you our theme today, God exalts the firstborn of all creation as the head of his work of reconciliation. God exalts the firstborn of all creation as the head of his work of reconciliation. In our passage, Paul has just referenced Christ's work of redemption. He, God, referring especially to the Father here, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Who is this Son that has redeemed us? Nothing less than the Son of God who is and remains fully God. But even that doesn't say at all. So Paul goes into a description of who this Son is and the works that he has done in verses 15 to 20. This is the king of the kingdom of God, a powerful king, a good king, a just king, and a merciful king. All attributes that should give those who believe in his name confidence as they interact with those who do not yet recognize him as king. We begin with this king's power. Paul begins his description of our king with the words, he is the image of the invisible God. The image of God is particularly about sonship. Adam is in the image of God, and that tells us that he is a son of God. We're told in Genesis 5 that Adam's son bears Adam's image. Christ, Christ provides us with a better image of God than Adam. Not only that he is faithful, the image of God in Adam was effaced. The image of God stays pure and clear in Christ. But Christ's human nature is fully united to his divine nature. So that image of God means so much more when our head 
is both man and God. And that divine nature is eternally generated from the Father. Eternally generated. So, we generate, we bear children in a moment in time. Christ is eternally generated from God the Father. The next line brings that out. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Again, this is Adamic language. Adam is first. Christ is the new Adam, the true firstborn of all creation. We might say, again, eternally firstborn of all creation. The eternal God, the word of God, took on flesh and became a man. So the created human nature of Christ is deeply connected with the eternal divine word. The church recognizes these two natures in the one divine purpose, or the one divine person, Jesus Christ. And the reason, the comfort of all this, is that I can know God when I know Jesus. Now, some of that theology is probably confusing to you, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. This is the teaching of the church as they sought to understand how Paul can say the types of things he is saying here about our living Lord at the right hand of God. The purpose is so that we are able to say, you, Jesus Christ, are my Lord and my God. He bears true human flesh and so understands our weakness. At the same time, he is our God who is ascended into heaven at the right hand of God. Jesus is king. That's the gospel. Paul continues to explain, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Our Lord Jesus was, was there in his divine nature when the Lord created the earth and everything in it. What a comfort that our Savior is also our creator. He knows us not only in that he experienced what we experience, but he also designed us, or rather we could say he was the word used to design us. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If Christ is the word that God used to create the earth, then everything must be explained through him. Our scientific works are only weak attempts to understand the wisdom that God used in creating the word, the earth. As the author of Ecclesiastes says, of the writing of books there is no end. They are only a grasping after the wind. We can never fully understand the way God's creation works because of who created it. God who is completely beyond our understanding. Yet, as Christians, we can know that we have the answer to all things in Jesus Christ. We have the answer to all things in Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of the universe. 
He is the key principle to explaining the meaning of the world. He gives this vaporous world around us solidity. We have firmness, a foundation in Jesus Christ. This is our king. Even though we don't understand fully what's going on in our current COVID-19 crisis, Christ actually knows the details of the virus, and he knows the hearts and the minds of those who are making decisions about that virus. That's our king, people of God. That's why Christ is king, is indeed a gospel message. And this king is the head of the body, the church. The head in the Bible is the first principle or the director, the overseer, even the source of the body. Our heads, our heads have control over our bodies in, in a natural way. Our, our brains send messages to different parts of the body, telling them to run or to hold or to, or to look. Through the head, we receive new information and the body responds. We might also think of it this way. When we think of a person, we think of their face. We might say their head represents who they are to us. Christ is the representative, the commander, the source of all good things to the church. And that source imagery comes out in our next description. He is the firstborn from the dead. Not only the firstborn of creation, but the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That doesn't mean that other people were not raised to life before Christ. We can find examples of that in the Bible. Think of Elijah raising up. There's a couple of stories about Elijah raising people from the dead. But Christ is the source of all resurrection. For he is the eternal God who gives life. Those raisings from the dead in the Old Testament, they're based on what Christ is coming to do. Through his death and resurrection, he has established a way of life for the people of God. And this is done so that he may be preeminent in all things. Just as Christ is the source that brings all things together in creation, and he is the word that brought creation into being, so Christ is the source of our redemption, our freedom from death. We follow him into the grave so that we might have resurrection and life. You see, God is the author of creation and recreation. Christ is the author of creation and recreation. Christ is preeminent above all in the work of creation. And he's also preeminent above all in the work of recreation. For this reason, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. And we have that emphasis again on this is God and man. 
the fullness of God. That means Christ is just as much God as the Father. Once again, this boggles the mind. We can only adore the great God who has acted in a way we cannot imagine nor fully understand. In Christ, man's flesh is raised up to the right hand of God. And the whole point of this reconciliation reconciliation our father wants to reconcile to himself all things whether in earth or in heaven making peace on the blood of his cross of christ's cross that's the purpose of the ascension the ascension of christ to the right hand of god it can't be separated from the cross the cross that makes peace We know that after Christ rose from the dead, he still bore the marks of the cross on his hands, his feet, and his side. So that tells us, as an ascended, he still reigns as the Lord who was crucified for our sake. We follow Christ, the King, as the people of of the cross. Christ as king is actively seeking to reconcile all things to himself and the means, his body, the church. That's what he's using to apply the peace of his cross. So how do we participate in this work of reconciliation? It begins with what Christ has done. Our first response to the words found here should be love and faith in Jesus Christ. This is a powerful and almighty God who is working for our good. Let's submit ourselves to him. I have died to the world on the cross of Christ, and I am given life through the resurrection of Jesus. Through the Spirit, I am raised with Christ to the heavenly places so that I am safe. My true life, my eternal life, is safe in Jesus Christ. It all begins with my identity in Him. My identity in Jesus Christ. I am my beloved's and He is mine. That's that head-body relationship. Christ says, she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh to the church. So the first act of reconciliation is a particular, and I I put it this way for the lack of a better way of saying it, it's a particular way of standing. I stand, I place my trust in him, and I return, I bear his name as the son of God. We can think of how in the Old Testament, pillars are raised up as a witness. And Christians picture that pillar. I am firmly planted in the ground as a witness of Jesus Christ. In doing that, I begin to put myself in subjection to him. From 1 Corinthians, we take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. That begins with me. 
Am I thinking in the way Jesus wants me to think? Do I build a wall in my mind to keep me from applying the Lordship of Christ to some sin in my life or some sin in my society? In the war between the states and the United States, the South was full of Christians who justified slavery. Even men like the theologian Dabney, fully orthodox theologian, who we read with profit today, justified slavery. And that remains deeply embarrassing for conservative Baptists and Presbyterians, especially in the southern states today. Somehow, they walled, in the past, they walled that part of their theology so that the word couldn't penetrate that part of their minds. And we would be foolish if we did not think that that couldn't happen today here in Canada. Do we allow our society's permissiveness and rebellion into the church? Do we trust the scientists and the therapists of our society more than Jesus? What are our blind spots? Where do we hesitate to follow the words of our King Jesus? We are part of Christ's work of reconciliation. And that begins with my own reconciliation. That fight between old man and new man. Always crucifying, always coming to life. And then also, that's more internally, we can also look at this externally, always calling our society to reconcile with God. In all of this, we must recognize that any true reconciliation with God must come out of a recognition that Jesus Christ, our crucified Lord, is King. The difficulty in seeking reconciliation often comes in the manner or the emphasis we have in which we engage with the world around us. That's how I introduced this sermon. The idea of reconciling all things is so big it boggles our imagination. So what do we do? Do we seek to cultivate another otherworldly pietism and ignore the injustice and the perversity in the world around us? Or do we seek cultural engagement in the world around us? These and many other questions come up as we seek to be the salt and light that Jesus calls us to be, that Jesus has made us to be. If you've been listening, you'll quickly realize that many of these questions offer a false choice. The church often divides into camps along these types of lines today because we have an underdeveloped understanding of what it means that Jesus is king, that Christ Jesus is ascended to the right hand of God. Again, the only way to seek the peace of the land we are in is to seek reconciliation with Jesus Christ. The only way to correct the injustices we see is to offer reconciliation with Jesus Christ. And that begins, that begins by developing that otherworldly piety. 
We, after all, and, and, and Paul brings this out later in Colossians, we die to this world and are raised into the heavenly places through, with Christ through the Spirit. The good I do in this world, my cultural engagement, if you will, comes out of that otherworldly focus. I don't belong to this world. I belong to Jesus Christ, and I am a member of this kingdom. I preach the gospel. Uh, I preach a gospel of righteousness that does not belong to this world. The order of Christ's kingdom is not the order that is found in Canada. In that work, the lordship of Christ affects every area of my life. A phrase that captures all aspects of this is the fear of God. That fear is not merely being afraid, but it is a fear of reverence and awe. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 to 11 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I fear, I seek to do righteousness in my life, and out of love for my neighbor, I desire that he or she do righteousness as well. I fear my judge Christ. That means I truly desire to please him because he is so powerful and good. I'm happy to live in this fear because he has saved me. If you approach the Christian life through the lens of this attitude, it helps to bring things into perspective. Fear of God, fear of Christ on the throne includes a desire for personal growth. A greater desire to see God's righteousness in my life. And a desire to see his righteousness alive and well in our neighbor's life. We fear God. We fear for the life of our neighbor. We desire the good and the peace of the world that Christ died for. This expansive view of what it means that Christ is king allows the church as a whole to have a balanced approach in engaging the world around us. Many in the church will focus on personal growth, prayer and Bible study. Others will focus on the order of the church, its worship and its community. Many will focus on ideas and doctrine. Again, many in the church will focus on broader social issues, Abortion, the perversion of marriage, the destruction of the family, and acts of oppression in society. The gospel is that Christ is king, and he has come to set everything. That includes that whole list. Everything right. We are his means in that work, and different individuals in the church can have these different emphases so long as they continue to grow together as the body of Christ. An individual or even a whole church may skew in one direction, 
But God has given us to one another to strengthen one another in that work of reconciliation. We're all participating in the reconciliation project of Jesus Christ. We act according to the gifts, the time that God has given us. And we have the leading of the Spirit in all of this. We need to remind one another and encourage one another in growing and understanding of what our Lord Jesus finds important. The whole point of these things is is to participate in that work of reconciliation that the Father is working through Jesus and his body. What God wants is faithful witnesses of what he has accomplished. We are to encourage one another in that calling. And we can be confident in that as well. We read from Matthew 18, 16 to 20. Our Lord has commissioned the church as the means he will use in reconciling the world to himself. Paul identifies himself as a minister or servant of that work of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5. He's a guardian of the mystery that God has given him. Christ is the source of that, again. Declaring in Matthew, Matthew 28, I have been given all authority, all power. How can we be confident in our work? Because we have the Lord Jesus as our king. We're united to that king. Later in Colossians, we are told that we have died to the elements of this world and we have been raised with Jesus Christ to the heavenly places. That's how Paul describes the reconciliation he speaks of in verse 20. Christians are no longer a natural part of the order of this world. They are part of a spiritual order that transcends all earthly things. And that allows them to speak and talk and act in a way that's different than this world. Because of my knowledge that Christ is king, I am able to speak with gentleness and patience and humility with my neighbor. Christ has taught us that that's the way to bring the gospel across. I reflect Christ in his engagement with the world. I can gently call my neighbor to Christ. I can patiently wait for the spirit to work. I can be patient because I don't need to change my neighbor or change the world. Christ is in charge of that. I can allow myself to sacrifice my rights for the sake of my neighbor. Because Christ is king, I can suffer for him. Ultimately, my neighbor cannot hurt me. My government cannot hurt me. Yes, they can attack me. They can take away good things that I enjoy. But my real treasure is in heaven. In the same way, the fact that my treasure, my peace lies in heaven, that allows me to share with those who cannot return what I have been given. God will give me my reward. That allows me to stand up for the oppressed and the marginalized because God has given me my reward. Jesus is king. My flesh is enthroned at the right hand of God, and he is guarding me in everything I do. And we can have full confidence in God's work. Who is the king? It's Christ. 
who is also revealed to be the eternal and glorious word, whom God spoke to bring the world into being. This is our king. God promises here in Colossians that he is working to reconcile all things to himself. All things. Over 2,000 years, God has shown great patience in that work of reconciliation. Not only with the world, but also with his church, who has again and again failed to live up according to the calling of the gospel. Yet Christ is king, the firstborn of the dead. His ascension perfects the power of his death and resurrection. And through the Spirit, that power, that power of the death and resurrection of Christ continues to dwell in his church. He continues to guide his church through word and spirit so that he may convict the nations of sin. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.